0: Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Worship and Arts. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether you're local or a long-distance member of our community. We're so glad that you're here. Before we get to today's teaching, I just wanted to update you on a couple of things happening in the life of our community. First of all, if you're listening to this on Monday, July 31st, today is the last day to give towards the Jefferson Traditional Middle School Uniform Drive. During the month of July, we've been helping Jefferson Traditional School supply uniforms for their students. Over the course of the school year, students lose, wear out, or outgrow their uniforms, and we're hoping to make sure that Jefferson has their uniform closet stocked when that happens. If you want to give in that way, you can go to the link in the show notes below before the end of the day today on July 31st. Speaking of kids, we've been hearing a lot of questions like, how do I talk to my kids about Jesus or God or the Bible or this or that? And in a community like ours, of believers and doubters and those that are a little bit of both, these questions become a lot more complicated. Our kids' ministry director, Karen Grant, is incredible and intentional when it comes to kids on a Sunday morning. But what about the rest of the week? Well, we're so excited to share that on August 27th, Meredith Miller will be teaching in our gatherings, as well as offering a workshop right after the gatherings that talks about what parenting a child's faith journey can look like when parents are still figuring out what faith looks like for them. If faith is new to you, or if you spent time deconstructing and or reconstructing your faith, this will be a great afternoon for you to learn and ask questions. Meredith is a pastor, parent, and writer with over 20 years of experience in children's ministry and curriculum. She holds a Master of Divinity from Fuller Seminary, as well as a BA in Religious Studies and Spanish Language and Literature from Westmont College. Meredith is also the author of Woven, Nurturing a Faith Your Kid Doesn't Need to Heal From, which releases here in August. Registration is required for the workshop, and the link is in the show notes below. The registration cost will include the workshop, lunch, and a copy of Woven, the book that Meredith wrote, one per family. And childcare will be available for kids six months through fifth grade and will include lunch as well. You can find the registration costs and more details in the show notes below, and scholarships are available, so please email Karen at SouthbendCityChurch.com if you have difficulty with these fees. And just know, this is open for parents and family members and guardians. If you are responsible for kiddos, we would love for you to be a part of this workshop. Events like these and our general day-to-day ways of being only happen through your generosity. It's not lost on us that Southman City Church wouldn't even exist if it weren't for the ways in which you show up, both in time. And in resources. So, as always, if you consider yourself to be a part of South Bend City Church and you want to give, you can do so by going to southbendcitychurch.comslash give, which is also in the show notes below. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this weekend, we continued on to the second week of our Jesus Stories teaching series, and today we get to hear from Dr. Angela Logan. Dr. Logan is an associate teaching professor and the St. Andre Bessette Academic Director of the Master of Nonprofit Administration in the Mendoza College of Business at the University of Notre Dame. And she's also a beloved member of our South Bend City Church community. And this weekend, we explore Jesus' interaction with Martha and Mary, as it's been one that has confounded people for centuries. When taken in the context of the laws of his time, Jesus was wrong. And yet, when we look at the text in the context of the text— We see the surprisingly subversive way that Jesus was right, calling Martha and us into a life of radical self-care and a deep understanding of what matters most. And we finished our time together by coming to the table in the practice of Eucharist. If you would like to join us when we get there, make sure to have some form of bread or cracker and some form of juice or wine with you. And know that when Dr. Logan says the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you, she's speaking it over you as well. Once again, thanks for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now.
1: I am honored and considered a privilege that you are here with us. Just a little background in case you've, this is the first time you've heard me or the first time in a long time. I am a proud product of the capital B, capital C, capital T, black church tradition. So what that means for you all is that you have the permission and the freedom to talk back to me. Amen? Amen. Oh, you! I knew 11, you were my people. Now, I want to give you all a little coming attraction for this morning's service. Today, there will be three movements. The first will be the teaching. The second will be a mini practice that I hope you all will engage in with me. And then the final movement, we will come to Jesus's table. Now you may be wondering, am I welcome at the table? Yes. Longer answer. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'm not proud of the week I've had. Have you met me? I am God and I argued at least three times this week. And only one of those times I was right. So I'm coming to the table, so I invite you to come to the table too. How we approach the table here at South Bend City Church is if you want to be at the table, you are welcome to the table. At the time in the service when we will be coming to the table, I will invite those who are going to serve you to come up. We will pray over the elements, and then they will go to the three corners, and as you feel led, someone will hand you a piece of gluten-free, nut-free, soy-free, dairy-free, somebody may walk through the uh, plant with an egg salad sandwich, so if you have an egg allergy, don't touch it, and they will place that piece of bread in your hand and say, the body of Christ broken for you. Take it step to the side, and they will offer you a cup filled with grape juice. And someone will say to you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You will take the piece of bread, dip in the cup, and then receive it, take it back to your seat. If you are unable to make it to one of the three corners, as you see the lines um, waning down, just elbow the person next to you, or raise your hand and get the attention of one of the servers and they will come to you. My friends in the mezzanine, you don't have to do anything, we will come to you. So teaching, practice, communion, make sense? And now the teaching. We are in the midst of a teaching series that we have titled Jesus Stories. We got really creative with that teaching series title The the speakers who will be coming over the course of this summer will be sharing stories about Jesus that have inspired us, confounded us, or in my case, utterly frustrated us throughout our lives. What I mean by that? A little background. A few years ago, my paternal side of the family decided to have a small family reunion, So my paternal great aunt, her son, who, and this is important to keep in mind, was a division one college football player and he was an, an offensive lineman. His wife, their three teenagers, plus my parents were all at the house. So like the dutiful daughter that I am, because my mom's health was waning, I got up and I made breakfast. I started at the dark at Oh, dark 30. I pulled out my lowly waffle maker. There were multiple waffle sets of waffles being made. There were pans of bacon in the oven that were baking to perfection. There was fresh cut fruit. There was orange juice. There was coffee. You name it. I was pulling it out. And the more I prepared, the more they ate. And just when I had thought, okay, this is good, I have a break, I finally made myself a plate because the cook always eats last, sat down and started my breakfast. But before I got too comfortable, I asked my cousin, what was he thinking about breakfast tomorrow? So that I could be prepared and kind of, if I needed to go to the grocery store, I'd be ready. And he looked at me lovingly and said, Oh, Angie, just do what you did today. I don't want to put you out. (laughs) I politely excused myself from the table, walked into the kitchen, opened the freezer door, and stuck my head in for two primary reasons. The first, because it was a hot July day, and I had been working all morning. And second, and more importantly, because the words that were about to escape my lips were neither of grace nor of peace, and I didn't want to shock my great aunt or grieve my mother. As I stood in the refrigerator looking at the frozen green beans and ice trays, I couldn't help but think of a story of Jesus that had confounded me for decades. You know the one I'm talking about, right? As we read in Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the better part. When I'm in my feelings, I can't help but think that Jesus was wrong. I mean, really, what are we supposed to do with these five verses? One of the things that Pastor Miller often likes, encourages us to do, is to put the text in context. And so, let me put the text in context. Let's think about Martha for a minute. Let's put on our spiritual imaginations and reflect back on who she was and when she lived. Based on what we know from the story, she was a first century Jewish woman. We also know that she was the head of the household. It didn't say she Jesus came to Martha's husband's house. It also didn't say it came, Jesus came to Martha's brother's house. The text says Jesus came to Martha's house. Therefore, she was the head of household. And by definition of the law of that day, she was under the outline of the Talmud and the Torah. There were specific urgings and encouragements for the head of household. This past summer, I had an Orthodox Jewish rabbi from Brooklyn who helped me learn a little Yiddish, and I'm so proud to test it out with you all. So according to in Judaism, showing hospitality, which is a haknasit orkim to guests, is considered a mitzvah. It is the highest form of service one can give. When one knows that strangers are hungry or need a place to relax, it becomes a legal obligation of the head of the household to provide that. Some rabbis consider the haknasit orkim, which literally translates it as the bringing in of strangers to be the literal giving of loving kindness. Similarly, the Talmud teaches us that one's house should always be welcoming and open to strangers. It is is stated in the Talmud that whoever is in need, let him come and eat. In fact, during the Middle Ages, a custom arose of providing a guest house to the poor. The name for that guest house became sanctuary. So now, Martha also would have known about the text of the Wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 11.25 where it states that a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So here's our Martha, a good first century Jewish woman. She's invited her friend and her teacher over for dinner. She's probably thinking, Well, he's probably gonna bring Peter, James and John because he always brings Peter, James and John. She's also thinking about herself, her sister, possibly her brother, and that's it. She's a good hostess. She wants the house ready for them. So she's tidying up as one does when you invite guests over, pulling out extra plates, putting just the right finishing touches on the meal, maybe a couple of bottles of wine and then Jesus shows up not just with Peter, James and John but the whole crew people he probably picked up on the street random dudes we all are just going to invade Martha's house and because this is the first century she did not have the benefit of receiving a text or a phone call or a dm or a message on Meta, She opened her door and there they are. And so she's panicking. She's gotta pull out extra plates, grab extra bottles of wine. People have had the meal, they're lounging, they're reclining, there's laughing and giggling. And I'd be willing to, to venture a guess and say that before Martha pleaded with Jesus to get Mary to help her, Martha gave Mary the universal stare. Help me. Mary just dutifully sitting there listening to her Lord and her teacher, learning more about what he had to say. And Martha is getting increasingly frustrated, not just with Mary, not even with Jesus, but especially with herself because I would suspect she was feeling the way I was feeling that hot July day with my head in the freezer, having scrambled and, and sweated and prepped, and for what? Because that's what she was supposed to do. That's what the law required. That is, after all, what a good hostess does. What about you? What are the things that you are doing in your life because you think, or more likely, someone told you this is what you're supposed to do? Is it engaging with toxic family members or friendships that no longer serve you? Is it tolerating disrespect in the large and small ways? What is it that you are processing politely because you're supposed to? Now, my my favorite pastor, aside from the lead pastor here, was my pastor in college, whom Pastor Jason most often reminds me of. One of the things that he taught me was to not just put the text in context, but to put the text in the context of the text as in what happens, what's happening in the story before we get to the story and what's happening after the story. While the writers of scripture were, they were inspired to create, to pull these stories together. These stories aren't organized by happenstance. There's a method to their madness. And so if we look at the verses immediately preceding the story of Martha and Mary, we come across a peculiar parable that we focused on for the last few weeks. Jumping ahead to verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritan went and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now watch this. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. And when I return. So what are we to do when we put the text in the context of the text? When I do that, it has pained me low these last few weeks to admit that martha was wrong and jesus was right the writer of hebrews tells us in chapter 10 verse 1 that the law is a shadow of a good of the good things that are coming not the real things themselves when we unpack the story of the good samaritan the most unlikely of characters in the story to actually do a mitzvah and follow what the law required, you'll notice that he didn't stop what he was doing. The story doesn't say he hung out at the inn until the man was healed and then he went about his way. No, the text says he paid the innkeeper and kept it moving. Angela translation. He kept the main thing, the main thing. He wasn't focused on the shadow of the good thing, but he was laser focused on the real things. Martha was doing what the law said, but missed the big picture. In her book, Too Heavy a yoke. Black Women in the Burden of Strength, psychologist and pastoral theologian Shaniqua Walker-Barnes argues, in contrast to the Good Samaritan's capacity to care for another while also remaining faithful to his own journey, Martha's caregiving results in a fragmented sense of self. She is so consumed with doing, that she's frankly incapable of listening. Mary's acts of sitting and listening are acts of radical self care in her seemingly passive act of devotion before Christ. Mary receives the physical rest and spiritual nourishment needed to sustain her ministry. Martha in contrast is distracted from the very source of her life and her ministry becomes anxious and overwhelmed. And all God's people said, ouch, ouch. She was distracted from the very source of her life and ministry and became anxious, and overwhelmed. Martha was fixated on the what. Mary was focused on the why. Martha was focused on the shadow of the good things. Mary was fixated on the real things. There's a word for us in this too. Are we becoming so caught up in the what? and in the appearance of doing the good things, that we are missing what is real and what will sustain us. Now, we've looked at the story before Martha and Mary. What about the story that comes after Martha and Mary? When we look at these verses, we see Jesus teaching his followers a very familiar very simple prayer skipping down to verse 3 give us the bread we need for today give us the bread we need for today what is going to sustain me in this very moment not next month not next week not even this afternoon, but what is going to sustain me right now. There's a hymn from my childhood that simply states, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Note doesn't the hymn doesn't say I need to show need you to show up because Christmas is around the corner and I have to do my shopping. It doesn't say these kids are going back to school next month and I need you. I need you in this very hour, in this very moment. Jesus' entire ministry was based on a subversive attempt to reframe what the law required, calling his followers into what was real and what was true. Martha's stress and anxiety and flurrying around caused her to miss it. Mary was leaning into not the shadow of the good things, but the real things. Can I be honest with you all? If I'm honest with myself and you, I think the real reason I was so frustrated on that hot July day was because I was doing what I thought I was supposed to do. For those of you who don't know me, I am. my parents are each one of 12 children. On a good day, I can name all of my aunts and uncles. On a really good day, I can put them in birth order. I don't have many of those good days. What that meant for me growing up is that any meal that I prepared, I had to be ready at a moment's notice to feed an army because you never know what random uncle or stray cousin would pop up. And so that was how I was wired. That's what the law taught me. That's what I had to do. And in that moment with my head in the freezer, I thought there has got to be a better way. And then the better way came to me. One of the things that my mother unleashed in me when I was 16 years old is what a former colleague referred to as culinary philanthropy. I show my love through cooking. Because I have southern roots, jeet yet, baby, is a whole thing for me. I will make things out of love, not out of obligation, but out of love. Earlier this summer, I was having lunch with a dear friend. She mentioned that she was having a birthday coming up in a couple of weeks, so we started talking about her plans for her big day. She was sharing who was gonna come over, the meal that she was preparing, all the excitement that she was planning to have. And then she said, just in passing, I think I want a chocolate cake. I guess I'm gonna to go to Costco to pick it up. I smiled, nodded my head and we just kept on with lunch. I got in the car and I said out loud, not on my watch. I, in that moment, was determined to make her a scratch chocolate cake for her birthday. Only, prob- only one little problem. I'd never in my life made a scratch chocolate cake. So I did what any good scholar would do. I went to Beyonce's internet and looked on Rihanna's Google, And I found multiple chocolate cake recipes. I weighed the pros and the cons. I I went back and forth and back and forth. And I found what I believed to be the perfect cake recipe. But because I wanted to give my friend my very best, I made a test drive cake, invited a girlfriend over. We realized that it was good, but it just wasn't right. So I went back to the drawing board two days later. And as I stood in the middle of Joann's, looking at all of the supplies that I had gotten to make my friend a birthday cake, I thought to myself briefly, it probably would have been cheaper and easier to just go to Costco. (laughs) But I said, no, I was going to do it out of love. My friend didn't ask for the cake. My friend, frankly, didn't even know the cake was coming. My friend just said she wanted a cake. And if you know me, be very careful what you say around me, because I will do my level best to make it happen. I approach my cooking, not as an obligation, but as a Sabbath practice, getting my hands in with God on raw materials and making something beautiful out of it. And I'd like to think I made something beautiful. Double layer chocolate cake from scratch. Don't tell my friend, but that's Duncan Hines whipped, whipped icing. Because look, I, I could only do so much. The yellow candy sugar daisies are because there were some icing moments that were a little uneven. But if I put the daisies on and some yellow sanding sugar, it looks amazing. And it was made with love. I wonder... How many of us have been so fixated on the shadow of the good things that we've missed the real things? I give myself grace from years ago and said, you did what you thought you had to do, but when you know better, you do better. And so I'm giving you all the permission and the freedom to be gentle with yourselves, to focus on the real things, not the shadow of the real things. Are there relationships that you are maintaining right now because you're supposed to? Is tech distracting you because it's just there and convenient? Is the looming start of the school year causing you to miss sunrises and good conversations over iced coffee, I would encourage you in the days and weeks ahead to focus on the real things, not the shadow of the good things. Before we come to the table, the meal that Jesus gave to his friends as a reminder that we need just enough provision for today, I want us, if you'll indulge me, to engage in a practice on how to center ourselves to be fully present and focus on the real things. This practice was taken from a recent sermon offered at Howard University's Chapel by psychologist and pastor, Dr. Thema Bryant Davis. What I ask you to do is as you feel comfortable Sit up in your chair, place both feet firmly on the ground, relax your shoulders because the tension is real, unclench your jaw and just breathe. I'm going to speak a mantra over you and then the second time through, I want you to repeat, repeat it after me silently to yourself. You are enough. You are more than your resume. You are more than your title. You are more than your W2. You are a living soul. Inhale, exhale. Now repeat this to yourself. I am enough. I am more than my resume. I am more than my title. I am more than my W-2. I am a living soul. Inhale, exhale. They can take your job. They can take your title. They can take a lot of things. But they cannot take your soul. They can take my job. They can take my title. They can take a lot of things, but they cannot take my soul. Inhale, exhale. So as those who are going to serve you make their way up to the stage, know that you can come to this table in your enoughness, receiving a meal that is not the shadow of the real thing, of a good thing, but the real thing. A meal you don't have to labor over, a meal that you don't have to fight for, but a meal that will nourish your very soul. When Jesus offered this meal to his friends, he said to them, this is, he took a loaf, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then later in the evening, he took a cup. He raised it, and he said to them, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant do this in remembrance of me. And so God, as we come to this table, we thank you. We bless you and praise you for we don't have to struggle or fight. We can just come to this table just as we are in all of our enoughness. And it is more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.
0: as you're able, would you stand
2: as we sing? I'm not
1: this week, may you give yourself the permission and freedom to choose the better part. May you know that you know that you know that you know that you are more than a title or status. You are a living soul and you are enough. May the love of God watch over you. May the peace of Christ fill your heart. May the presence of the Holy Spirit fill your sleep and speak in your dreams. May you always feel seen, safe, and known by a loving God and by this community. And may your families be well. I ask this in the name of the one whom the ancients called wonderful. And may grace and peace be with you. Love you, friends. Have a great week. Get some sun.